Wonderful. Praise the Lord. This blessed book that I hold in my hand, they said, it's true from beginning to end, and we can rest uh, in the truth of that. Uh, didn't know that was the song they were singing today. Praise the Lord. Great job, Gerald, and the choir and everyone. Thank you. Thank you for the blessing. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we will pick up where we left off last week. 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 11. And I, and I hope you're here last week. We, we had, uh, went through the Proverbs 31 woman, talked a lot about the value of woman, the dignity of woman, how, how Christianity and, and, and Judaistic culture it liberated her to do a lot of things that the other cultures around it did not do. And uh, so it was a great week last week. We'll, this will definitely be instood, uh, understood in, in light of that. So I hope you are here. If not, um, all I can say is please attempt to listen through the whole thing. And at the end... I don't know, keep the back doors open, Gerald, I may have to run. (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, I titled this, Appreciating Headship. And uh, please follow along, I'm going to read uh, through our primary text to begin. Paul wrote to Timothy, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. As we did study through verses 8 through 10 last week, preceding this, in Proverbs 31, we discovered that, that women, both Old and New Testament, they're not only permitted, but encouraged to excel with the natural skills and abilities that God has provided to them. We found that women are also to reap the bounty of their hands, the bounty of their labor. Give to the woman the product of her hands, the King Lemuel says. If she's worked hard, she deserves to reap the fruits of her labor. And we concluded in our study that that Christianity in actuality is very liberating to women. And I proposed at the end of last week that modern secular culture in comparison has to at least in some degree turned women into slaves. Modern America has such high expectations for women that the standard is essentially unattainable only attainable in the movies. Some secularists would appeal, actually, to the resume of a Proverbs 31 woman. They'd like that, and they'd say, yeah, she buys property, she plants a vineyard, she puts food on the table for her family, she's a fashion designer who makes clothes. She feeds the poor, so she's a philanthropist. Brilliant in instructing her children, and she even sells her goods at her own personal retail store down at the Palm Gardens Outlet. In all of her spare time, I suppose that she goes to the gym and, and knits a scarf and, and probably does motorsports. During this period of, of women doing so much and everything, women in our culture in America have never been more miserable. Never been more miserable. And, and we men, we really appreciate all of this, we'll be honest, because it means we absolutely don't have to do anything. Nothing. And that suits most of us really well, to be honest. The flesh, I don't have to do anything. And if the family were to disintegrate 
If that were to happen, it must be her fault. Because she's not being a good wife or Proverbs 31 woman. She, she must be failing in one of these points. And, and what has actually happened is that young men, uh, excuse me, young women have been so exploited in our culture that they're starting to throw in the towel. Let me explain that. They're, they're exhausted. Women are exhausted with their responsibilities. And while listening to Al Mohler, he is the president of, of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And this past week, he had uh, on his daily radio program alarming statistics concerning young American women. Currently, 46%, almost half, of American women under the age 34 have never been married. And the majority of these are indicating at some level when they're surveyed, they're not seeking, do not want, or do not need a a family or a marriage or a husband. That's what they're saying. And and this is partly due, I, I, I suppose, to the unfair conditions that they've observed with their own mothers and families. At least partly. So, so many just now view marriage as not a very good deal. And, and a large portion of this unmarried segment are planning to instead pursue a career first. Uh, they, they want to fulfill their natural sexual desires without being bound to a husband. And if the child is a result, the statistics are alarming, they expect either the state to help to eliminate the pregnancy or... If they do have the child, the institutional establishment is to raise it for them because they're busy. And they'll pursue these individual goals they have and their dreams that they have. And today, this is reality, folks. This is what our culture believes. And not to blame them, not blame our culture or the women out there, this is how the unregenerate mind thinks. It thinks of self first. And eliminate anything in its way. And our young women are casting aside their natural inclinations to be a mother. And, and putting it away. And, and in place of it, they're putting in what they consider a better personal experience. Better than what they've experienced before. And these women now have their freedom. They have their own money, their own bank accounts. They have their own friends with whom they can pursue entertainment and even travel with. They see it as a good deal, and they want to be able to come and go as they please, and they don't want to be answerable to or responsible for any family. That's where America is. Much of it, anyhow. Women have been abused. They've been taken advantage of for so long. They're now saying, I'm done. I'm finished with this. I don't like what I see. I don't see like what happens to women. I'm done. And this represents a full-scale rejection of biblical womanhood, and uh, biblical motherhood. And this has all occurred as man for the last decades now, several decades, four to five decades, has completely failed to lead in the home and lead in the church. He's decided uh, not to shoulder the responsibilities in his home. He's decided not to shoulder the responsibilities of a man in church. So who's to blame? He's coming. Ultimately, the man is responsible for our current situation. And this is in complete harmony with what we see in the Garden of Eden. As Eve was being deceived by the serpent, 
And, and Adam's standing right next to her there. And he permitted her to be deceived and to eat, and, to, and he did not intervene. Adam's failure to step in and lead is why Romans 5 designates him as a progenitor of sin. It was him, not Eve. And Eve being deceived, Adam should have stepped in and stopped her. That was his role, that was his function, and he didn't. That's why God approaches Adam first. Adam was responsible for the failure because he was supposed to be the head. And and man neglects to lead, and the woman becomes deceived. Not a whole lot has changed in the last 6,500 years. And and at that point in the garden, God declares a curse. He says in Genesis 3.16, To the woman God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children... Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So quite literally, it says, he will master you. And in verse 17, then Adam said, uh, to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, notice Adam failed to lead, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, he told the man. What we observe today is that both women and men have a full-scale rejection of the curse. And people are turning their noses against God and saying, no, I won't. The woman says, no, I won't experience pain in childbirth. I will eliminate that child beforehand as to not interfere with my life. And not only will a husband not rule over me, she says, I won't even have a husband. I'll go it alone. That's the woman's reply. And and this is all while the man says, you know, I'm not going to toil in the ground. I'm not going to work extra hard to go out early in the morning and provide for a family. In fact, if children are a result of my activity, you know, let the government take care of them. I'm just going to take a vacation. That's what we are experiencing today. And and the world has gone completely nuts. And consequently, in marriages, we have wives who are not supposed to lead a family They're seizing that leadership role that their husband has vacated. So now she's acting like a husband. She sees the leadership. And we have husbands sitting on the couch, unwilling to get up in the morning and go to work. Or they're playing Mr. Mom. That's an old 1980s movie, by the way, Gerald. (laughs) While the wife is toiling to provide for the home. And in this scenario, it's not only what children are observing in their homes, they're seeing it all the time, it's also played back and forth on the television, left and right, day in and day out, it is role reversal. Our television sets are awash with it. Men behaving like women, women behaving like men. And it should be no wonder so many children now have a sexual identity crisis. They don't They've got no idea what a man is or what a woman is. Everybody's confused. 
And if you're confused about your gender, we have an operation that will fix that. This is where we're at. And, and even nature itself tells us that this role reversal is wrong. Illustration. Pastor Weiler, would you and Andrea please stand up and turn and face the congregation? Even nature tells us that the big hairy-armed guy, the tough guy, is the one who's supposed to rise up early, go dig the ditch, and bring home the, the dead animal to eat. He's to go out and hunt and fight. Even nature shows us this. And, and nature tells us that the smooth-skinned, long, soft-haired female is the one who is to nurture the children. Not that hard. And, and in order to not recognize this and not embrace this, you'd have to be totally depraved. You can't see this? That's what Paul's saying. It's in creation. And consequently, if a person outright rejects what is plainly obvious in creation, over and over, the roles of man and woman, verse 15 tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, probably means you're not regenerate. Because you can't see it. Thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Weiler. And look with me at verse 14, then, of 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, And it was not Adam who was deceived... But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity without restraint. So what Paul wants all women of every generation to realize here is this. Not that women are always deceived. Not even that that women are most easily deceived. But that Scripture demands that women of every generation recognize in this text that when Eve took the leadership of the decision-making role that belonged to Adam, that historic event was orchestrated by Satan. That event was satanic. And her decision, Eve's decision to lead, was a trick of demonic deception. And comparatively, if a woman today thinks it's appropriate for her to be seizing the male leadership role at home or at church, whatever it is that is convincing her she should do that, in itself, that origin, that origin of that philosophy is satanic. Where she gets those ideas is not from God, it's not from the Bible. Instead, a regenerate Christian woman who has to marshal her children to church, get them together, because her husband won't. Instead, she ought to be really troubled by it. And if the husband refuses to lead the family in teaching and prayer in Scripture, that ought to really bother her. Because she knows by the indwelling Holy Spirit instinctively that spiritual leadership isn't her role. By comparison, the Christian husband who fails at these same things... His spirit ought to trouble him. Because he knows instinctively that he's dropping the ball. That's the overarching principle in verse 15. A Christian woman recognizes and accepts her role, first and foremost, is domestic. She's responsible for the children and the household first. That's why God created her. That's what she was created for. And we discussed last week, depending on her season of life, the state of the home, the age of the children, a wife has 
lots of opportunities to pursue lots of other things, lots of other activities, but not at the expense of her children. And usually, if a woman's forced to neglect her household in order to take on the man's role, she becomes miserable. She doesn't like that, because her heart is in the home. First and foremost, is in the home. This is programmed by God directly into female DNA. It's from the creation. So both believers and non-believers recognize this. The difference is that Christians understand why. The same is true for the man who cannot be the primary provider due to high unemployment, physical limitations, illness, even addictions. He becomes miserable. And and this happens often in our age. There's a lot of sick people. There's a lot of tragic accidents. And and often men will turn to drinking. They they will want to forget their state in life. And, And to not lead is a very difficult experience for men. Especially when they can't work. Unemployment is part of the reason that that the men of our nation are very angry. They're very frustrated. They're disillusioned. It's the reason we have so many addictions. And and if he can't go to work to release that testosterone and that energy so that he can tire himself out, if he can't do that, he'll find another escape. He'll find another place, another location where he can do that some other form uh, to expend himself. Because uh, it is programmed by God again directly into his DNA. It is created that way. He knows he is not to be the one who's sitting at home while the wife goes out. That's very difficult for a man. This is both, again, believers and unbelievers. Christians know why. And and the things that limit a man from, uh, from working are some of the most emotional difficulties that we experience, whether it's due to illness, unemployment lines, even at retirement. Men especially struggle with this. And some men can't take it. They become depressed, reasonably so. Um, So the husband needs a wife, again, believers and non-believers, a wife who will support him and encourage him that he has that value, that the wife sees him still as the leader. The man has to have that. And, and for, the, for that, it will provide harmony in the home. In order for there to be harmony in the home, a woman has to be given the ability to tend to her family first, and the man has to be able to be the head of his home. He needs his wife to appreciate his headship, being head of the home, and her to be willing to follow him. Or else there's going to be some kind of conflict, one way or another. It might just result in him checking out. But it's still conflict. Because a husband will not follow his wife. He needs to be the king of his castle. And his DNA programming will not permit him, women believe this or not, will not permit him to follow a woman. Our genders, responsibilities, and roles are by divine design. The identical is true in the church. And before we look at verse 11 and subsequent verses... You know, I get asked quite regularly by extended family members, by people even who visit this church, people in my neighborhood, uh, never by men, always by women asking this. Why would I, meaning me, be so narrow-minded to believe a woman can't be a pastor or lead the church? That's the question. And immediately I can sense they've either never read this passage or many others like it, 
Or they, they just outright reject the authority of Scripture altogether. You can sense it right away. Sometimes they just haven't ever seen the passage. And as I said, many other places in Scripture. And they ask, why can't a woman pastor a church? My very practical answer is this. Men will not follow a woman. Men won't follow a woman without even citing more Scripture where it itself is very clear. It is this simple. Adult men, by design and by nature, will not look at the woman, any woman, and say to themselves, I want to follow her. And and some will reply, you know, well, that's absolutely chauvinistic, intolerant, and narrow-minded. To which I would reply, well, thank you for insulting my Creator. It's His design. And, And God did not design men to follow. He designed them to lead. And women ought to come alongside and help Him. That's why in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a help. We say helper. I'll make him a help. God didn't say, Adam, here is your leader. From the beginning, Adam was to, not to follow Eve. He was to lead Eve. It's in creation. So notice here that male headship, it existed before the fall. It's not a result of the fall. It's got by God's design. For mankind to, to question or rebel against uh, male headship, the idea of male sh- headship, now that is a result of the fall. And it's sata- a satanic deception from our culture, just as Eve also was deceived. It's a deception. Look at verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Again, in this letter, the corporate gathering of the church is in view here. Corporate gathering. And and I've never understood what is so oppressive about this. I, I haven't quite understood it. Men are also to quietly receive instruction with submissiveness. I personally did this for many years at my previous church. Many, many years, I had no problem with it whatsoever. Submitted to instruction and teaching. Don't know the problem here. I enjoyed every minute of it, to be honest with you. And, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes also to the men, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So the principle to remain quiet and submissive while receiving preaching and teaching and instruction, it's not gender specific. We all do that. And and I esteemed the teachers there at my previous church uh, very highly. I quietly received instruction on Sundays, seminars, other classes. I don't see the problem. I never considered myself oppressed by that principle or felt that I just ought to have the opportunity to get up and get up and, and, and... Say what's on my mind. I never did that. Never felt, felt it was a problem. And, and so the problem some people have here with this passage shouldn't be remaining quiet or being submissive. Both men and women are commanded to do that. The problem some have comes in verse 12. You look with me there. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man but to remain quiet. This is the second time in as many verses that 
The scripture says a woman must remain quiet. And, and some versions translate this silent. Um, that causes some confusion. The term quiet, it's, it's the same Greek term that we saw back in verse 2 of this same chapter. It, it means tranquil. It means peaceable. Not meddling in the affairs of others. It, it doesn't mean that when a woman comes through the glass doors that she can't greet someone with hello, that she can't engage in a polite conversation, that she can't laugh or that she can't say amen. Amen? That's not what it means. What it means is she is to be quiet. And, excuse me. Some versions, again, translate this silent. I, I, that's not an accurate representation of the word. Some say silence, but quietness. Um, what Scripture here does say is that a woman shall not verbally take over the assembly. She won't seize control of the assembly. This is why a woman does not pastor. She doesn't teach. She doesn't lead or call groups that consist of both men and women to prayer and worship. That's not her role. And and it has nothing to do with a local custom that was in Ephesus. False teachers today will say that Paul was exclusively addressing that ancient culture. No, he's not. That this prohibition only applied to Ephesus at that time and place. No, it did not. It's very clear. That is a flat-out lie. Paul does not appeal to the culture as his rationale for this prohibition against women leading the church. What does he appeal to? He appeals to the created order. Verse 13. For it was not Adam, or for it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve in verse 13. He appeals to creation. It's the order of creation. It's not something that was going on in Ephesus. It's created design. And the prohibition is timeless. It is clearly rooted, not in Ephesus. It's rooted in Scripture. From the beginning. And by design, men will not follow women. We've said that before. In fact, Christian women who understand this principle, they also don't want to see a woman leading the church. They don't. Once they understand this principle. They naturally desire male headship. Overwhelmingly, Christian women desire male headship in the home and in the church when it is administered biblically. All right? Because they understand by nature that God made man and woman for different roles. And 1 Corinthians 11, which we read earlier in the scripture reading, it also appeals to the created order as the reason a woman is to have male uh, is to have a male with headship over her. Paul wrote to them in verse 8, I'll repeat this. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. She came from his side. For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. So here again, Scripture indicates she is the man's help. It's for his sake. She's not the man's leader. Then Paul continues in that same passage. Therefore, a woman ought to have authority over her head because of the angels. There, it's settled. Because of the angels. Just put it to rest. What in the world do angels have to do with it? What do they have to do with anything? Why the angels? Well, 
angelic hosts are witnesses to our conduct, believe it or not. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, which we will study in a few more chapters, we are told concerning ungodly behavior that those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest will also be fear of sinning. We'll cover that later. But Paul adds to this, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels. In the presence of them. Look at that, even the angels are chosen, Gerald. Angels are witnesses to what is occurring among humans. They see what is going on. They're even present and witness the fall in the garden. If you remember afterwards in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, God established two angels right there with a flaming sword to protect against the tree. Make sure no one went in there again. The angels were right there. They saw everything. And though they're not omnipresent, angels are witnesses to our worship and whether or not we function in a manner which is biblical and pleasing to the Lord. They see it. According to Revelation, you look there, it's even possible, though we don't know for sure, that each church has at least one angel assigned to it. We can't be sure about this, but we do know that when we gather to worship, angels are our audience. They're here. They are seeing what is going on. I'm not making this stuff up. This is for real. Christ is among us. The angels are observing how we're behaving. And, and, and even angels know from an event in the garden, a specific event, that role reversal, the woman taking the lead, was inherent to the original sin. They know that. She took the lead. There became a big problem. The angels saw that. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 again, Again, specifically corporate gatherings for worship. Judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God uncovered? Without headship in a corporate gathering? No. His answer is no. Even nature tells you otherwise she needs to be covered. Men are to provide the spiritual covering and headship. God created them this way. And a wife or a woman should appreciate the man who does so again in biblical fashion. A woman, a woman should be covered by male headship. My wife wants to be covered by male headship. She wants to be protected. I didn't talk to her beforehand. Disagree if you want to. She wants to be led. She wants male headship. She does not want to lead the home. She doesn't want to lead spiritually. She doesn't want to lead the church. She doesn't want to lead the church and she doesn't want any other woman leading the church. She wants to be under male headship and she appreciates it when she's covered. So how does this function? How does this work in a very practical sense? Here's the application for, for corporate gathering. When we come together to worship in the corporate setting, both men and women present together a man calls us together, a man leads prayer, a man directs worship, a man teaches and preaches. It shouldn't be a problem to sit under male headship. 
I did it for years. And it shouldn't be a problem for men or women. I sat under a male headship. And I appreciated those men, that male headship that I was under. Still under a male headship today. Still receive teaching from men today. I appreciate it when Pastor Weiler's up here preaching. Getting edified. Um, but outside of this mixed setting, uh, Scripture is very clear. Titus chapter 2. A woman who are further along in their spiritual development are to teach the other women. Right, Ruth? You can say yes verbally. It's okay. <laughs> women who are further along are to teach the other women. Ruth and others like her are instructed to teach and lead other women in prayer, in female settings, and she does so. And she sits under male headship of the church. She leads the other women. She teaches the other women. She prays to the other women. Ruth doesn't have any problem with this. Likewise, we know from Scripture that godly women are encouraged to teach young boys and girls. We know that from other Scriptures. Women such as Nancy Kishfi and Rhonda Quintana with our young ones, they're doing an excellent job still under male headship of the church. So women are allowed to function in those roles. But women are not allowed to lead church corporately, together in a mixed group. Men will follow other men they trust. Women will follow men that they trust. But men will not follow women into spiritual battle. We won't do it. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. It's my creator. Men won't do it consistently. You might find one somewhere who would say that he would in general men won't christian men won't do it it's it's the reason that deborah if you're familiar with the the sole female judge in israel um, she summoned barak to lead the ten thousand man army of israel into battle she said barak you do it the men aren't going to follow me you you lead barak and they did and they and they had victory because even deborah knew it was not in the man's nature to follow a woman in fact, we even find in churches where, where there's, it's suspicious some way that a woman is leading from behind the scenes. Men will at minimum resent it. So will other women. And, and some will just leave. They resent that. And if new visitors were to sense that Rita was somehow pulling the strings of, of how things are going, what's being said, how things are functioned, if, if people were to sense that, they wouldn't like it. They'd leave. That would prevent the church from growing because it would be sensed by all. Even a pastor with a bossy wife, and my wife's not bossy, but a pastor with a bossy wife, it's usually a death knell to a church. You can't grow because everyone's questioning who's leading here. Seems like she's calling all the shots. And, and, and people know who, their Bible, who know their Bibles, or they cling to their Bibles, they'll resent that. They will resent that. They will say, he is not taking his role as the head. She is. When churches and denominations violate this principle of male headship, everything eventually goes out of whack. And Because uh, you can no longer assert, you can't state that you stand on the very authority and the inerrancy of Scripture cover to cover. Because male headship, it's present and evident from the very beginning in the garden, all through the, the Scripture to the very end, not just this passage. And, and though women are, are held in very high esteem, as we saw last week, very high esteem, and, and you've got people like Deborah, you've got women like 
um, Sarah and Rahab and Jesus' mother Mary and Elizabeth. You've got all kinds of noble women in the Bible, many of them listed in Hebrews chapter 11, a couple of them at least. And, and women are highly esteemed, but as far as leadership, Adam led, Noah led, King David led, all the kings of Israel were men. Deborah appeared as a judge. She made sure Barak led. Um, all human writers of Scripture were men. All of the offices of prophet, the ongoing office of, office of prophet, were men. And I had one woman say to me not long back, unrelated here, she said, I don't see that in Jesus' teaching at all. No, my reply was, sure you do. He had 12 apostles. How many of them were men? 12. Of course you see it in Jesus' teaching. And, and when the apostles have the next generation that comes up like Timothy here and Titus and Tychicus and all these, and they're appointing leaders to the next generation of churches, they're all men. Leadership is always men. It, it, scripture is in harmony with itself. It doesn't violate this. And, and uh, every single denomination that has violated this principle, this is what happens. We've seen it over and over again in the last 50 years, at least since 1970. Within decades, they drift from orthodoxy, that means correct practice, correct teaching, they, they drift from orthodoxy into theological liberalism. Every single one of them. Why? Well, it's because when you can no longer defend male headship from the Bible, that's clear, you're forced to set aside and ignore this passage in 1 Timothy. Not only that, you're set, you have to set aside 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you have to set aside 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you have to set aside 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you have to set aside Titus chapter 1, and you have to set aside the created design and all the evidence that we've seen already cover to cover and talked about. You have to set that aside. And when a, w a female who's assumed this role of pastor, I came from a religious background that did this, wasn't a believer yet, but at that time, when, when a woman assumes that role, they, if they try to take a stand against homosexuality or any other type of sin or perversion in the Bible, and they go to correct that, and pointed out, you know what, the Bible doesn't prohibit that. The offender, whether homosexuality or other, any other sin, is going to come to her and say, what about 1 Timothy chapter 2? You're not even supposed to be pastor, they'll say to her. You don't believe in this book, why are you getting on me? So what happens? She says, uh-oh. She can't appeal to the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture anymore. And so what they do is they take the Bible just put it down there. Put it away. And they drift into theological liberalism because there's nothing tethering them to the truth anymore. A female pastor cannot declare the inerrancy and the authority and the consistency cover to cover of Scripture. Can't do it. So the Bible gets set, set aside. Well, for conservative Bible-believing churches like us, it's usually not a problem. Most women that I encounter appreciate male headship in the home, in church. And uh, in fact, 
Can you guess, generally, especially what I experience here, can you guess who are the most polite, the most loyal, and the most committed to coming to church? Widows. Widows are. Why? My impression is that when their husbands pass, these Christian widows, they sense that they've lost their headship. They want male spiritual headship. They desire it. And they will let nothing stop them or get in their way from coming to church. They're the most loyal of Christians. And uh, if you don't believe me, just get in front of Faye Ritzy on Port St. Lucie Boulevard on her way to church and slow down. She will be honking. She'll say, get out of the way. You can't prevent her from getting... She's got to be in a hospital bed in order for her to miss church. And then she's just joyful when the church comes to her. They appreciate spiritual headship, male headship. And Pastor Weiler and I appreciate them, appreciate all of you. And, and, and this is the one reason that Paul says in chapter 5 that he wants younger widows to remarry. We're going to come into that in a few weeks. And he wants them to have the protection, that comfort of being under male headship. And some benefit from, from headship of other male family members, very true. A father, a husband, a grandfather, there is benefit there. Certainly, for other single women. Even under the headship of the church, for single women, there is a headship here. And, uh, but have you ever asked yourself why it is that our Lord's brother James told us that true and undefiled religion is what? Visiting the orphan and the widow in their distress. Why? Because they have lost their headship. They've lost their headship. True religion is to make sure they are covered. One final point. For women who might feel, you know, I, I don't have an impactful role then. I'm not important. Since we're not allowed to assume uh, church leadership positions as far as headship. For them, Paul says in verse 13, uh, 15, but women will be preserved. Your translation might be saved. The role of women will be preserved. It will be saved. How? Through the bearing of children if they continue in the faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. So a woman's role, as we learned last week, is a very dignified one. There are a whole lot of marvelous examples of courageous women in the Bible, as we said. But arguably, one of the most dignified roles a woman can achieve is reserved exclusively for women. That role is a mother bearing children. A man cannot do that. People say, my sister said once, one of my sisters, I won't tell you which one. She said, well, she can't, woman can't be a pastor, because they had them in her church. Well, name one thing that women can't do, or that men can't do. I can't have a baby. It's by design. A woman's allowed to bear children, and subsequently by raising their children, and in doing so in a godly way, women become a very significant influence in Christ's church. So though women aren't allowed to, to teach men in the church, they do raise men into the church. And Timothy himself, 
that this, who this letter was initially read, uh, written to, him and his church. Timothy himself is a recipient here, and he was a spiritual byproduct of what? Now that he's a leader, fighting the good fight, his grandmother and his mother. His dad was out of the picture. But Lois and Eunice raised him up. They had a huge impact on the church by raising up godly Timothy. And he knew very well, no doubt in Timothy when he's reading this book, he knew very well about the influence of a godly mother and grandmother, how important women are to the church. In America has said, they've told us, remaining close to home, being a home mother, raising the children, they have told us, that's not dignified. They said, it's unfortunate that you've got to stay home and raise those kids and you can't be out there. You hear that. It's horrible. And their perception that being a mother and having children and raising them up has no merit, has no value, has no dignity. Why has that perception come into the church in some locations? Psalm 106, verse 35 tells us why. Why does America have a problem with this in the church? Because just like Israel, it says, they mingled with the nations and learned their practices. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Next verse. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters. How a family and a church functions, especially in terms of headship, it's not to be a reflection of the sinful culture around us. It is to be a reflection of God's word and of God's creation that is evident in nature. We're losing our sons and daughters. They're not understanding this. Our families and our churches are to be a reflection of God's word and how God has designed us. Let's pray.